Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. All the Game 1s of the first round of the 2021 NBA First Round Playoff Series are in the books. So, what can we safely take away from the results? Here at On the Ball, we're okay with being edgy, but we try to avoid overreaction and hyperbole. And when I say we, I mean me. That eliminates saying the Lakers are in big trouble or the Clippers are on their way to underperforming once again or the Grizzlies are poised to upset the number one seeded Utah Jazz. Any and all of those things may end up being true, but it would be downright goofy to proclaim any of them off of game one. There are too many variables and intangibles in play for the first game that won't exist moving forward, such as... The Suns had a week to prepare for the Lakers, a week in which all they heard is how they should be the underdog against the defending champions, or that the Jazz were playing for the first time in a week and their first meaningful game in several weeks and didn't know until late Friday that they were facing the unproven upstart Memphis Grizzlies. I've got nothing for you on the Clippers, other than they were the best three-point shooting team in the league this season, percentage-wise playing the 18th best three-point shooting team in the Mavs, and that the Clippers were also the sixth best team limiting opponents' threes per game all season, playing the 17th best team in the Mavs. Yet, they lost the battle in that department. 17-11 to for the Mavs, who shot a crisp 47% to the Clips' 27.5. Now, this is not a... Let's not make this another Paul George came up small once again, because that really wasn't the case. Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson 
who shot 47 and 43% from beyond the arc this season, were a combined 0 for 9 in game one. And most of those shots were uncontested. I'm still scratching my head a little bit on exactly how the Clippers managed to lose this game, especially with a final score of 113 to 103. I'm not ready to say that the Clippers are just being the Clippers and that we're going to see the same result. I firmly, well, I'm going to stick by the idea that this is a different Clippers team this year and that they will eventually show that against the Mavs before it's too late. They have too many good three-point shooters for me to believe that that disparity in that department is going to hold true for this series, any more than I do the factors that I cited in the Suns, Lakers, or Jazz Grizzlies games. So to avoid overreaction, we just have to ask ourselves one simple question. Were any of the outcomes truly surprising? The answer, no. Was anybody surprised that the Knicks, Hawks, came down to a last possession and Trey Young delivered and Julius Randle didn't? No. Or that the Blazers pulled away in the final minutes with Damian Lillard against a Nuggets team without Jamal Murray? Or that Chris Middleton, guarded by Duncan Robinson, hit the game winner in overtime for the Bucks? Or that the Celtics, who were without Jalen Brown or Grant Williams except for one minute and hadn't beaten a quality team in a month, were no match for the Nets' three-headed monster of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Or that the top-seeded 76ers took care of the Wizards with the ever-erratic Russell Westbrook committing six turnovers and needing 17 shots to score 16 points. Again, no. So what can we take away from the weekend that might serve a purpose or is worth keeping an eye on going forward? Here are a few. Athleticism played a bigger role than experience. We certainly saw that in the Suns, Grizzlies, and Blazers wins. That's not supposed to happen, especially on the road, not in the playoffs. Young teams are supposed to take some time to adjust to the heightened intensity and meaning of every possession. Yet the Grizzlies only had nine turnovers. The Suns played the Lakers even in that department. 14 each, even though though the Lakers are the fourth best team in forcing them, and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, among others, were seeing their first playoff action in their careers. The Blazers had a measly six turnovers against the Nuggets. I'd say part of all this is that while there are now fans in the stands, the atmosphere is still on a level below what visiting players especially new ones, to the playoff picture, that is, normally experienced for the first time. And athleticism isn't just getting up and down the court. It's as much about making sustained efforts, particularly on defense. We saw that play out. Saw it in the Mavs versus the Clippers. I would say the Clippers are the more athletic team, but they were consistently a step slow, and they played with a certain arrogance rightfully so in one way they look at the matchups they have and they should believe that we can play iso we can go one-on-one and we will win those battles and i believe that that will bear out but you have to play with a certain sense of urgency see the iso attack or swing it and make something else happen 
The Clippers simply didn't do that. Something else that didn't work, for the most part. Keeping players on the shelf, save for a few meaningless warm-up regular season games, until the playoffs started. Certainly didn't help the Clippers, with Serge Ibaka looking a step slow and far from his agile self, nor the Jazz with Mike Conley. But that's about it. Drawing any other conclusions for the from the first weekend at this point would be foolish. So that leaves us with talking about something we can take to the bank that was confirmed by the weekend. And that is that Chris Paul is one tough son of a bitch. If there was anybody I put on my MVP ballot that I thought I might have trouble fully explaining, and I'm not saying... I had doubts about putting him on there, only that I figured somewhere at some time I'd have to put into precise words why I did against the onslaught of critics who would look at his meager 16 points a game average versus, say, Steph Curry's league-leading 32. But you saw what he means to the Suns in Game 1, both when he was on the court and for the brief stretch when he wasn't, after suffering what was described as a contusion in his right shoulder two and a half minutes into the second quarter. The Suns, who were rolling at the time, came apart almost instantly. The lead shrunk from nine to three in about two minutes. Devin Booker, who came in for Paul, turned the ball over twice, unforced. That tells you something about CP3's history that the broadcasters, and yes, I had the sound on for a bit, immediately began speculating about Phoenix's ability to win the game or the series without him. They they just assumed, here we go again. And yet, he returned, without fuss or fanfare, four minutes later by the game clock. He clearly wasn't right. He could barely dribble the ball with his right hand, the ball repeatedly skittering away from him and then him having to chase after it and collect it and he didn't even think about trying a three for the rest of the game he did try a couple of his trademark mid-range step backs but not surprisingly airballed all but one what was surprising other than he kept taking them is that he actually made one even though he was shooting the ball side-armed it was at a point where Suns coach Monty Williams had to be wondering if he should keep him out there. Although, I'm sure he also knew that he would have had a massive fight on his hands with CP3 if he actually tried to sit him. This is where the demeanor of a player matters, as far as how it affects the rest of his team. And it's something that statistics don't necessarily capture, unless it's a team's record. And why... It's something that I saw, but in defending putting Chris Paul on my MVP ballot is not something that you can readily explain to somebody who hasn't watched the Suns on a regular basis. Because in this game, not once can I remember Chris Paul rubbing his shoulder or shaking his arm or doing anything to suggest he was hurt. Even as obvious as it might have appeared, he was. He certainly wasn't telling his teammates as we've seen well one other particular player in this in this series and we'll get to that do more than once or at least more than on one occasion 
What Chris Paul did was straight out of the Kobe Bryant book of stoicism in the face of being impaired. Because to do otherwise could be interpreted as a subtle way of making an excuse, of saying, this just isn't my day. Which can easily turn into, this just, just isn't our day. Chris Paul has long been a player who refuses to accept excuses from his teammates. But the only way to really make that mean something is to refuse to accept them from yourself. And he wasn't. He didn't exhibit any frustration with his limitations, though I'm sure he was frustrated. He just kept playing. And you know what? So did the Suns. It was a statement to everyone else in a Suns uniform. I'm not giving in, no matter what. So you better not either. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton responded in kind. They weren't going to concede because their point guard wasn't going to concede. Somehow, Chris Paul still managed to play 36 minutes and collect eight assists with one on, only one turnover. It's why, and those of you who think this is too much criticism, but it's just the reality. It's the way I see the game. It's the way I see leadership. It's why the LeBron James playing up every injury is a failure of leadership in my eyes. Because he sustained a shoulder injury of his own in the game. Only, he made sure everyone knew it. And while he also played 36 minutes, he was not nearly as aggressive as Paul, down, as Paul was down the stretch. Even with the Lakers trailing in the final minutes, he played with no urgency. Now, it's not the first time I've seen it in the closing minutes of a game where his team is trailing, but it still strikes me as weirdly odd every time I see it. It's that attitude that compelled me to put Paul on my MVP ballot. It's, as I said, it's not something easily explained unless you see it in action, along with the galvanizing effect it has on his team. I saw it all season long. Chris Paul doesn't have the quick step he once had. He doesn't finish at the rim the way he once did. Yet, he somehow finds his way into the paint and still forces the defense to respect him enough to create openings for Booker and Ayton and to average 16 points. I saw all that all season long too. All that said, it's also why I can't too, make too much of this first win as far as the Suns actually winning the series. They could, but I'm not going to base that they will on this particular game. Because a one-armed Paul, no matter how determined he might be, is not going to be enough to get the Suns past the Lakers. I assure you that. They are going to need a few of those mid-range jumpers in clutch situations. They're going to need him to be able to go right off the dribble without having to chase the ball. All I know is this. If he can, he will. Or he'll go down trying. And that is a most valuable thing to have for a team as young as the Suns. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Recast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We will have two more games 
Notably, the second game of the Blazers and the Nuggets. That should be very interesting. And then the fallout of where everybody stands injury-wise. LeBron and Chris Paul included. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.